Fueled by the Outdoors, your source for hunting, fishing, archery, and all things outdoors. Brought to you by the Elite Outdoors. All right, so cheers. Cheers, of course, to the high life. I'm still on my 74,000 pack of Line and Kugel, (laughs) Snowdrift, Vanilla Porter. Hey, it's good. It's winter. So it is. I'll never run out of those things. No, no. So let's go ahead and get this started. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. What up, though? And this is, I guess, in the canon of uh, Fueled by the Outdoors, episode 34, season two, episode two. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So we're uh, going to take a break, actually, from what we would normally be talking about in January uh, because of some things that we've seen, things that are questions that have been asked and, and stuff like that recently on, on uh, the Internet page. And we felt it would be a good idea to touch on what we kind of touched on last week, which is what we're really excited for, for when the weather warms up. And that is spring turkey hunting. Touch me. <laughs> I'll touch myself. I, I love tur- turkeys are life for me. Uh, anybody that's friends with me or knows me at all. Um, I turkey hunt 369 days a year. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. And I think, you know, it's funny because when you actually meet other idiots like myself, mm-hmm. it's the same, same deal. I mean, it's, it's it's great um and we're we're gonna cover like what makes it great tonight in a, in a different a little bit different way than what we would normally cover stuff uh this is gonna take kind of the same shape of the um woodsmanship episode that we uh um that we covered uh what was that back in november and yeah. then yeah november um and then we're also gonna break this down really into there's two different I mean, there's multiple different ways of doing this, but uh, I would imagine the bulk of what we're going to be talking about tonight is run and gun because both you and I, if I'm not mistaken, that's how we both learned how to turkey hunt. Yes. Um, I started, so I started turkey hunting in 1999. Oh my God. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was all run and gun. You didn't have a little stake blind. You didn't have a, a pop-up blind. In fact, I didn't have a pop-up blind until 2000 and I want to say it was 2011. Um, Mm -hmm. And the only reason I got one, uh, it was a little cheapo that I needed to protect me from the rain because they were calling for some pretty crazy rain for like a week. Yeah. And that was the year um, that it rained like every day literally every Mm -hmm. single Mm -hmm. day it rained during turkey season until the third saturday i shit you not when i say that i hunted every single day yeah and it was terrible dude like i remember driving to work because i do like half days and stuff so Mm -hmm. i could take off longer and uh i'd be on my way to work and there is like water running off the hills onto the roads and it's just it was just freaking terrible. So, uh, I needed, I needed a blind. And, um, so my wife got me an early birthday present and it kind of helped me, but I can tell you, boy, was it a bitch when you had to get out of the blind. Oh yeah. 
sucked. If I didn't have to go to work, I would have stayed in that damn blind all day. Um, <laughs> a smart man would have taken an umbrella with him, but you know, so, um, so yeah, the majority of what we're going to talk about is run and gun, but it really does hit on blind hunting as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think blind hunting can be fantastic. It's just absolutely more noisy, more movement and more weight to carry. But I think, um, I think that uh, what we're talking about can definitely apply to either your run and gun guys or your blind guys. And a lot of times your blind guys are going to be farmland birds mm-hmm. hunting hay fields and cut corn and stuff like that. But um, so anyways, let's dive into this. So yeah, let, let's dive in. So, I mean, for, first things first, um, I mean, on, on a very basic level, most states have a spring and fall season. Um, spring is, uh, when most, uh, outdoors people go and hunt for turkeys, mainly because it is call and answer. And when we say call and answer, it's as if you would be calling. And I know people hate this comparison. It's as if you're out in the mountains and you're calling for elk. Um, it is the calls that you will typically use, um, will mimic a hen, uh, and you are trying to get a male turkey, a tom or a gobbler, Jake, whatever, uh, to call back to you. And that is more of a location thing and to help bring them into uh, where you are at. And there is many different types of calls. So do we, do we want to go ahead and go over like all the different types of calls real quick? Sure. So you, man, there are so many, forgive me immediately yeah i'm just going to say there are a freaking crap load of calls Mm -hmm. so i apologize if i forget some but your very basic calls you have your mouth call which is going to be a diaphragm or a tube yep Uh, you have a box call you have a slate or a pot call you have a push button call and then when you get into some of the more diy things i've seen them made out of a pill bottle i've seen them made out of a wing bone of a turkey um you, do you have any that you? Can I have think of? one. Um, it's, I guess it would be considered a box call, but it is. Um, yeah. I, I don't even know. It it looks it's like, like a, a scraper. Cig- yeah, like it's like a cigar tube. Yeah. And then you twist the end off, pull out the piece. It's chalked and it's got like a little sliver cut into the box, and you scrape it across that, and it works like a box call, but you almost have to strike it like a slate. It's really weird. Um, huh. But it, it's it's a it was a, a homemade call that I picked up at the uh, this is going to sound really hillbilly uh, the Wool Festival in Falmouth, Kentucky. One year, uh, there's a guy down there that sells them for ten bucks, and they work great. But there's nice. also um, there is what is called like uh, it's just like a gobble tube, right? Where like you hold yeah. it, and you shake yep. and it's uh it it just is like a piece of rubber on the end of a like a almost like a hammer, like a hand like a hammer handle sure it's hollowed out oh yeah and then so those are your your uh what i would call turkey calls then you have your locator calls your yes your hoot owl your coyote peacock hawk um crow call pileated um, woodpecker yeah woodpecker i mean pretty much anything i know there's some public land that i hunt that has a donkey and when that fucker screams excuse my french when he screams his little <laughs> jackass wine that he does mm-hmm. 
and they'll fire off. I mean, it's just any loud. I've I've made them gobble with an air horn, a car horn, shutting the shutting uh, the car at, door, getting out of your truck. At East Fork State Park, I have made a turkey gobble by shutting the car door. Yep. I could not believe it. It was gobbling at that that close to the parking lot. Mm-hmm. You talk about a dumb bastard. I don't know how that thing lived, but I found out. Yeah. Because me, it was almost done with the shooting light you know it was Mm -hmm. almost time to quit and me and jeff dennis were over there and we heard that thing gobble and i said dude grab your gun and let's go and and really for the people that are listening um i can't say enough how much turkey hunting all hunting but turkey hunting especially is all about capitalizing on an opportunity when you have one gobbling or doing what you wanted to do you have to capitalize and it's all about uh shots on goal um opportunities if if you don't if you're just like well you know we've got 15 minutes what are we possibly going to do well that could turn into an epic evening of turkey hunting Mm -hmm. where you killed a bird on public land so anyways we sneak up on this bird and it's gobbling and it's like on our level and i'm like there's no way this thing's on the ground well what we didn't realize he's super intelligent there was a sheer cliff 12 yards away uh, and he literally walked on our level and just hopped off onto a limb just below our level on the side of that cliff. And you're not, <laughs> you're not going to get him and you can't shoot him out of the tree. Right. So I told Jeff, I said, if you flush him, then you're able to shoot him. If he's yeah. flying, you can shoot him. And uh, I said, so if he hops off the limb, you better be Johnny on the freaking spot. Mm-hmm. And be ready to jump shoot him. Well, he missed the bird, or I don't, I don't know if he shot at him or not. But it's a damn good thing he didn't kill the bird, because that thing would have fell into a river that was rushing pretty uh, rough. Bye bye that. turkey. So yeah. So anywho, there's all kinds of locator calls that you can use. Um, lots of times you want to use what's in the natural surroundings. Uh, another mm-hmm. thing that I've heard him gobble out is a rooster. Um, crowing uh so i've i've uh there's public land where i hunt uh train whistles um there have been lightning like thunder they will gobble to that and most of what we're talking about right now this is when the birds do this it's typically called like a shock gobble um when it, it is just the bird's way in the spring of saying, I'm here, I'm here. Um, it, it's, it's like their time to kind of let you know where they're at and that kind of stuff. And it, it's purely a mating thing because in the fall, you don't have, you don't have birds gobbling. You, you're using Not a whole lot. Birds. I have heard it, but it's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. Um, I actually but you're, had you're, four strutters come yeah. in and in a November deer hunt, mature wow. toms strutting and gobbling with a group of, dude, there were over a hundred hens oh wow two different like mobs or whatever Mm -hmm. flocks of turkeys met and were all like fighting i felt like i was on a turkey farm i shit you not it was crazy (laughs) um and and the gobblers are out there strutting and gobbling and i'm like is this april (laughs) this isn't november i'm in a deer stand right now so uh with that being said a lot of people worry about how good they sound with a call and I'll tell you right now, some of the worst turkey callers are the best turkey callers. 
Mm-hmm. Here's why. Um, this is where the woodsmanship side comes into things. You don't sound like anyone else. Right. That bird could be two or three or four or whatever. And when he hears that weird uh, raspy sound that he's just never heard, they, they get fired up and they think it's just some old hen that wants to breed and they come storming in. But a lot of people worry about their calling. And I can tell you right now, a good turkey hunter is somebody who understands how to use terrain and how turkeys use terrain, mm-hmm. like how turkeys roost and want to fly down. Um, a lot of times birds want to fly down into an open area where they can not only see so that they're safe, um, but they also want to dry out from the night before right. they come out and strut. They don't want to walk in four foot tall, soaking wet grass. You don't want to walk in that on your way to hunt them. And so they're going to do whatever they can to avoid that as well, generally. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, there are a few little tricks that you can do to put the odds in your favor. Number one, hands down, scouting, scouting, scouting. Yes. If you go, you know, you and I went and listened and uh, I, I scouted my butt off for us last spring in Kentucky and in Ohio. And, um, you know, a lot of times, now, I, I was kind of, I didn't know what to do at our other spot in Kentucky because mm-hmm. there were so many birds. I was like, well, which which bird do I listen to? You know, what <laughs> what do I do? So um, I just kind of kept walking, ended up hearing 12 different gobblers that morning. So um, you can go out and listen and you can tell when they're on the roost. Yeah. They're going to sound loud. They're going to sound a lot closer. And when they fly down, all of a sudden it's going to be like, they're way far away. They're not far away. Generally, they just pitch down, but they're lower. You, they, yeah. They're muffled by the the undergrowth and everything in the terrain. So, well, um, and, and also something to consider with that is is that, um, and, and this 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 is important. Like just an orientation <laughs> as you are in the outdoors uh, with anything. Uh, if the bird is facing the other way, it's going to sound farther away, but it may still oh, only yeah. be 30 to 40 yards away from you. And then yeah. all it takes is that bird to do a 180 and look in your direction. And it sounds like they are right on top of you. Yeah. Well, I mean, once they get to 30 or 40 yards, if you can't see them, then that's going to be crazy. <laughs> but I do agree. Like when you have them at, let's say 80 to a hundred, yeah. they turn away and you're like, uh, and especially if there's five minutes in between gobbles or something, mm-hmm. which is very common, um, unless he's read, you know, he's a stupid two-year-old that's just hornier in hell and wants to run in there. Right. A lot of times they'll take their time and what, you know, 30 minutes can seem like three hours yeah. easily. So they'll be gobbling and coming and getting closer. And then five, 10 minutes goes and you don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden he sounds like he's 200 yards away and you're like, mm-hmm well, hell, what, what the heck? But a lot of times he just faced the other direction. So um, one thing that I like to do that has really, really helped me is go out and listen. And a lot of people want to kill a bird right off the roost. And that's all well and good. And I'm not saying you can't. Your best odds are to cut that bird off and ambush him uh-huh. with the least amount of decoys and calling possible if you hunt primo private land or whatever great good for you that's awesome i've had that 
honor too. It's a lot different hunt. Generally, yes, it it's a lot. It's a lot easier. Most of the time, you know, on my farms, I have a fence row, and that's what I have, so I can't really move. But what I was going to say is, you want to listen and hear that bird gobble, and just keep listening to him gobble. Don't call for the love of Jesus Christ. Do not call to that turkey when you are scouting. Just listen and watch. If if they're in a field and you can sit 400 yards away with a spotter or a mm -hmm. uh, set of binos, do that. You do not have to get close. And if they're walking up and down a woods line, uh -huh. well, then that's easy. You sneak in there before daylight and don't get close to his roost. Stay 150, 200 yards away. They'll work their way right by you. Exactly. Well, and it, it's important to note um, also that, you know, a, as we're talking about this and as we're talking about scouting, so we're, when we're talking about scouting <clears throat> season comes in, in April, in most States uh, about mid April, some States get it earlier. Uh, there, there are some States that come in in March. Those are typically Southern States where birds have had breeding chances earlier in the year. Uh, the seasons usually start um, after a cycle of breeding has already occurred. Um, important thing to remember with scouting, just like Chris said, is just you're going and you're listening. So one of, one of the things that I do, I get up, I pack a thermos of coffee, and I throw it in a backpack. I usually uh, take a call, like a, a locator call, because in most, I, I don't know if it's the same in Ohio, uh, but in, in Kentucky, there is a time, I believe it starts March 15th or something like that. You're not allowed to use a turkey call anywhere you are planning on hunting until the opening weekend, unless you go out for youth weekend, which is two weekends before opening weekend in Kentucky. Um, so th that would be your pileated woodpecker. Uh, that would be your hoot owl. That would be your crow call. But the important thing is, is that normally I will go out, I'll walk to a spot, usually up on a ridge, if, if I can find them or a high spot, I'll find a tree, I'll sit down and I'll just listen. And as soon as the sun starts coming up, if, if there's birds there, you're probably going to hear them. Now, you you've got to I mean there, there's some places you're going to go and you're going to hear a ton of birds uh there's other places you're going to go and you're going to hear one bird um this is where the woodsmanship stuff comes in you know with the advent of things like onyx or hunt stand and that kind of stuff it allows you to kind of pinpoint a little bit more maybe where birds might be and that that's all fine and good but woodsmanship wise um if I hear a bird and I'm on one ridge, I will slowly work my way um, down or around and I'll try to get a little bit closer just to hear a little bit before the bird flies down off the roost. Now, the important part about this is also to think is that birds don't always roost in the same areas. Uh, they will. I mean, it, at times, you know, like there's, there's certain trees that they, that they like, um, you know, Chris, I don't know. If you're particularly in the know, I know that I've uh, had a lot of birds uh, out of pine trees 
um, or little cedar groves or things like that, where they will get up on top of a knob and they'll gobble out of those and then they'll fly down, uh, oaks anywhere where, you yeah. know, they're just like deer. They love acorns. So they're going to, you know, roost near acorn flats or oak flats too, which is a, you know, a helpful thing for you to, again, like we talked about last time, identifying your trees and that kind of stuff is a very important thing when you're going through some of this stuff. Yep. Yeah. So lots of times turkeys are going to uh, they're going to want to jump off of a ledge yep. off of a hillside and glide into a tree or, or something. They'll fly up too. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it just makes it super simple. And lots of times they'll roost on one branch and then 30 minutes later, move to another. And they just, they position themselves. Uh, they reposition themselves quite a bit actually. So um, <clears throat> with that being said, if you just listen and mm-hmm. if you can't watch uh, those birds, you can be set up. You, you don't have anybody that's turkey hunted knows what it's like, the stress of trying to slip in on a bird yep. that's gobbling. It is freaking impossible almost unless you've got leaves on and it's heavy timber or something. I mean, it is truly remarkable how much, you know, somebody joked about shooting them out of a tree. I've had the opportunity to do that once in my life. Now I didn't mm-hmm. obviously cause it's illegal, but yeah. that was, there's one time where I could have shot a gobbler out of a tree. Any other time I don't get that close. No. So that being said, I mean, mathematically, um, mathematically uh, there's, there's a great follow on Instagram, or I think you might be on Facebook too. Guy is called the Turkey doc. He is a Turkey researcher out of Georgia university, the university of Georgia, uh, he does a thing every Tuesday about like just really great turkey information that is just wonderful for for beginning and even uh, experienced turkey hunters. Uh, they did a study. You have a 13% chance of killing a bird directly off the roost. Yeah. That, I, I mean, and that is with them flying down directly in front of you. Uh, you go to okay. the best setup in the world and doesn't mean they're going to fly down to you. So to me off the roost means that he comes within the first, you know, he flies down and he's there within a few minutes. Um, Not necessarily lands in your decoys, but near him. I have killed one, two. I've killed two or three off the roost Uh in my career and given others opportunities to kill about equally as much. Um, and again, you know, I'm not some of these guys that go to 17 states and I, you know, I've only ever got to really hunt, uh, Ohio. Oh, well that, but, uh, I've only hunted Ohio and then I did Indiana one year. Um, and then, you know, we hunted with you in Kentucky last year, but I didn't get to hunt. I was the caller cameraman, blah, blah, blah. The, the bitch at Rick guy. So, um, that being said, don't get caught up in trying to get them off the roost. Yeah. Try, but if you wait an hour and they work their way to you, you still killed a bird. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. That's like being an NFL quarterback and not satisfied with winning the game in the first half. Yeah. Um, just kill the bird. So that being said, um, you know, we've covered the scouting aspect. Another thing you can look on these field edges and meadow edges and all this, you can find little uh, sandy dirt areas 
called dust bowls where they dust bathe. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find their poop, their tracks, their feathers, you know, their scat and all that. Um, and, and you'll know when we, yeah, when, yeah, and scratched up leaves is huge. Up leaves. And, and when you walk into a place and you're like overwhelmed with sign, you could literally never hear a bird and sit there. And if you do everything smart, there's a damn good chance you're going to kill a bird. Yeah. Um, you, you might sit there till 1150, but you're going to kill a bird. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where I go with scouting. Now, when it comes to calling these things, everybody likes to get fancy and don't get me wrong. I've been fortunate enough to hunt with Luke Lacey and Pierce Moore for turkeys. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not saying they're like world champions. Boys can run a turkey call and yeah. it's, I've got video footage of Pierce literally making a bird gobble until it couldn't breathe. It ran out of breath. <laughs> it gobbled that much. So um, that's all well and good, but there's a lot to be said for a few light clucks and yelps. Mm -hmm. I stay away from putts because it sounds too much like an alarm putt, that little putt. I I don't like that short, short note sound. I want to excuse me i'm a little sick something like that and just yeah. you don't have to sit there and have 14 yelps and clucks three four five and then shut up and listen well that, so, that's that's a, that's an extremely important part and this is this is something that i think you'll learn over the course of turkey hunting is you'll call and then you'll get an answer and then you'll want to call again um, and you'll want to keep getting that answer. The important part of remembering this is, is that the best thing for you to do in every, every HS strep video you watch, every Primo's video you watch, every, um, you know, night and hail video you watch, they'll all say call then shut up. You, yes. you, you want the bird to start getting flustered that it's not getting the response. So it starts coming in now, younger birds, they might call respond and run in on you. They, they just oh, might yeah. um, larger, older birds. And when I say older birds, I'm talking three-year-olds, rarely, rarely, rarely four-year-old um, birds, but those birds are going to hang back and let the young ones run in. Um, or they're going to come in after those, after they've seen what's going on and they're going to beat the living hell out of them. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's, we'll go get into that in a little bit, but you know, reality being when you're calling, uh, like Chris said, putts are like, if you're in the deer woods and you see a doe blow at you, it, 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 it is very easy to alarm a Turkey. You know, remember this is a bird. It's paranoid to begin with. 75% of them don't make it out of the nest. And then the out of that group, 75% of them die. So yep. <laughs> um, you're, you're talking about a bird that uh, makes that noise because of owls, which are its primary killer. It makes it yep. because uh, it doesn't like something, even though there's nothing around. They're just, they're a very paranoid animal uh, or bird and, and they don't, I mean, their their object is just to stay alive, is just to eat yep. bugs, crap all over the place, and stay alive. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and a, a little trick for you guys as well that I do when I'm turkey hunting and I have, it's all, you know, the doe, the classic doe that blows at you. 
well, when a hen starts putting because she doesn't like what she's seeing or you slipped up and moved or whatever, if a turkey starts alarm putting like that, um, one thing that I'll do is just start cackling at them mm-hmm. and be extremely aggressive because it's almost like, you know, it's you're talking about an animal with a pea-sized brain. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like they can't concentrate on being alarmed. And they're like, wait, who's this mofo over here talking so much shit? Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times they lose their focus and then they start talking back to you. And I mean, that's not only worked for calming down the situation, but you get that other bird talking, you'll never beat a live decoy. Right. I mean, my DSDs are pretty damn nice. I prefer that they are. <laughs> I prefer live turkeys every time. <laughs> now the DSDs can't give me away, but right. uh, you know the the live decoys are really nice to have. So um, which that's just one us, little trick. Yeah, which should lead us actually into like our next part of this is that uh, there's another part of when you're hunting it is is typically a I mean, you'll see them all the time. Uh, this, is, this is one of the only, I mean, it's gotten a little bit big in deer, deer hunting now, but turkey decoys are, I mean, they're, they're, they're generally used on a, a, a lot of hunting platforms for when you hunt turkeys. Sure. Uh, now, we'll, we'll get into when and why to not use them, but, you know, decoys are one of those things um, that mean a lot of different things to different people. Uh, you can buy, I mean, some of those DSD decoys are, I mean, they've got, or is it avian X, the one that's got like the full strut gobbler now with the spurs and everything on it. It looks yeah. like 300 yeah. bucks or it's something that like that. Yeah. So you can get that one or you can go to Walmart and get the $20 one. Yeah. Um, you know, I I've seen plenty of different stuff. I've seen birds killed over all of these things. It depends a lot on how you set it up. But I think one of the biggest keys to having a decoy, and Chris, you just mentioned it, nothing beats a live decoy. But when you can add movement to a decoy, God. that puts you above a lot of other people in being able to get a bird down on the ground. Uh, and there's a lot of very simple tricks. Um, fishing line, being able to just move <laughs> a decoy back and forth a little bit. I've seen guys uh, put them on a, like have a stick hanging, like just a flat, a stick stuck in the ground. And then they dangle their decoy by the fishing line, just so the wind kind of moves it back and forth. And just that little bit of movement, you know, farther away brings those birds in because if you're hunting, really pressured uh, farmland or if you're hunting public land uh, they're going to be decoy smart. The older birds are like they, 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 I mean, they can be, they get decoy shy. And the other thing is for a stupid animal that doesn't have a large brain, when you have decoys up mm-hmm. and they stand at 250 yards and just look at them and then walk off. That's really disheartening, but yes, it is. <laughs> When you start to add motion, and this is true, I talked to a gentleman on Facebook tonight, which is what sort of inspired this whole topic. Um, 
adding motion decoys to decoys is uh huge uh in the duck world mm-hmm. turkey world doves dove now I mean, yep. you you start making those things move and it's just it's unparalleled man you yeah. can't you can't beat that unless you tie a damn turkey up so um i noticed even the realism i mean i'm gonna be honest i have zero affiliation with dsd We've gotten no breaks from them. I paid full price for two of their decoys last year. And I'm going to tell you, if a bird could see my decoy, it wasn't leaving. Every turkey that saw my decoy set came in. Um, I tied fish. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say that one beat the hell out of it. Yeah. And they got six shots. (laughs) (laughs) So... Tune in to Fueled by the Outdoors YouTube channel in a few weeks. Um, so I tied fishing line to this dude, and, and I, it's a, a full strut Jake by mm-hmm. DSD. Um, I put a real tail fan on it, and it's detachable. Now, the one thing I'll say is these things aren't, they're not the funnest thing to carry around in the woods because they're they, not. Don't, they don't collapse and all that. I mean, they're what they are, and that's what they're going to be. And that they do have a noise aspect to them, but mm-hmm. if a turkey can see them, I just don't see them not coming in. Um, so I tied fishing line to this strutter and then sat behind the stake blind. It's like a little, uh, you know, mesh blind that has stakes that raise up and down mm-hmm. so you can adjust the level and uh, hide yourself a little bit so you can move a bit to call and operate the decoys and all that. So, uh, or play on your phone like I do. So (laughs) I'm able to turn this decoy back and forth, making him look just like a strutter. And I'm telling you, I had a few birds where, and this is just last year, um, they would see my decoy and start to come. And then I'd turn that decoy dead at them facing Mm -hmm. them. That's a sign of aggression. And they would sprint. They did not care for that at all. No. And they just, they came right in. We've got it on film. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it was, it was super interesting to watch those decoys work. One of my favorite setups, if I can have a few decoys that works, but if I can only take two, I want a, a breeder hen, like mm-hmm. a bedded hen, and then a, a full strut Jake. And yeah. Dude, with a real fan, I can't stress that enough. Yeah. Um, and that stuff works, man. And I, I know, you know, that gets a little tricky on public land because when stuff starts looking that real, you can get shot real easily. Um, but if you be smart in your setup and everything and, you know, set that thing where you can see a good ways, uh, there's a good chance that you can stay safe. So. Um, but that's kind of my take on the, the decoying thing. If, if I'm going, if I'm in a, a farm field mm-hmm. or, you know, meadow or whatever, and I can have a feeding hen, a lookout hen and a breeder hen with a full strutter over, that's perfect. Cause that's a little harem and oh yeah, the boss gobbler, I'm telling you right now, if there's a true boss gobbler in there, he'll come storming in there and get right up in that Jake's face. That's the other thing. Don't expect him to go to the hen. I've only had that happen once, mm-hmm. and he raped the shit out of my hen. Um, he's going to get right in the Jake's face. So you want to set that Jake up where you want your shot. Right. So, um, 
you take it from here. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when, when, when you have, when you have them set up like that, the big, the biggest thing for everybody to remember, just what Chris said is set the, set the Jacob where you want the shot at. So this, this is the other part of, um, part of turkey hunting, uh, your shot, because you're going to get an opportunity at some point to be able to kill a bird, hopefully. Uh, now, if you watch videos, you'll see guys, uh, birds will be in full strut and they'll shoot them dead in the head and, you know, they'll, they'll fall over hmm. as, as a starting turkey hunter. Uh, the thing, the thing that I cannot express enough is one, wait till the birds are separated. If you have multiple birds, um, you don't want a situation where you are, um, shooting an animal because you will be using a shotgun. You're not going to be using a rifle. You might be using a bow. Um, you know, if, if that's something that you're into, uh, but if you, you know, primarily you're going to be using a shotgun with a Turkey choke in it, and you're going to be throwing a pattern. I mean, what Chris, maybe like the size of a basketball. Um, yeah, depending on what you're using and everything in the yardage. Yeah. And what, what you're going to do is you're going to aim. Uh, I mean, aim, aim for like what? Would you say halfway down the head? Uh, yeah. So what I like to aim at is where the neck feathers meet the bare skin. Yeah. Um, when the turkey breaks strut. The other thing, you'll see this in one of my videos. Um, coming up, one of our videos coming up. I killed the biggest bird of my life. And I literally, you know, he's 12 yards, I think. Mm -hmm. Just in the decoy's face, strutting and all that. And uh, I, I didn't have a care in the world but I wasn't going to shoot him until he knew, you know, I wanted that footage and we already had him. I mean, he was, yeah. there was a very good chance that he was not getting out of there alive. So, um, but when he stuck his head up, like he's trying to see over mm -hmm. top of something, that's when you can tell they're like, they notice something's wrong. He popped that head up real high and I immediately cut him down. And that's something, you know, when you see that, or if you hear an alarm putt or see them walking, like, shaking their head vigorously yep. it's it's go time you either kill them or they're leaving um yeah. that's the end of the show so well, um the, the alarm the alarm putt thing is is really important because you know i especially if you have a hen come in um they're just as bad as does um oh. they'll they'll signal something's not right before the the gobbler will notice a lot of the yeah. time and, you know, <clears throat> they're just as important to kind of keep your eye on during those times when sure. these things are going on. So you, you bring up an, a good point is like, so we shoot a bird. Um, hopefully you put a good hit on it. If you don't, uh, you know, remember, put another, you know, have all those other two rounds in and, and use them uh, that you have three <laughs> shots for a reason. Um, shoot him until he is dead. Dead. So the important part about this, this next thing I'm going to say is, is that um, just because the bird goes down does not mean the bird is dead. Um, this happens <laughs> quite a bit. Um, and you, you will hear guys, I mean, very experienced hunters, uh, the Ronellas of the world, um, you know, a guy who runs uh, Chris Knight, uh, uh, Harold Knight, they, 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 everyone has had this happen to him where you will shoot a bird and it goes down or it rolls, 
the next thing you need to be doing is getting up out of your seat and going and getting your foot on that bird. Yep. Um, it, Immediately. It, um, yeah. Unless, unless it's up and running, then take another shot. Um, but the reality of it is, is that when a bird starts running, they're fast. And it, 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 it it's, it's not like, it's not like you're thinking like, Oh, I'm going to catch this. It's like, they're up and they're running. And if you ever seen like um, chickens run through a, uh, a barnyard, like when they're really super spooked, like they will weave, they will duck. They will, I mean, even after you've shot in these things, they will go and they will dive in the most nasty cover you will possibly find yep. around because they don't want to blend injured. in. Huh? They blend in. Yeah. And they blend they're very in good. Difficult to find. Yes, I was out hunting and, it's a really cool experience until the end. Uh, my father-in-law kept telling me he heard this turkey, and I'm like, man, he's full of shit. And then mm-hmm. I finally worked my way over to where he was talking about, and sure enough, I hear a gobble. So I go way, way, way back. Well, I started right where I was. I called, then I went way, way back away from the gobbler. And I called some more, and he immediately gobbled. And I sprinted back to where I had originally called. And I was there for three minutes. My father-in-law had called to that bird all morning. And I was there for three minutes. And here he comes strutting and um, looking around. And I took a little longer shot than I wanted to. But it looked like he was, you know, kind of the gig was up or whatever. And uh, I shot him and rolled him. And so I get up. And he stands up and he starts running diagonally to my left towards uh-huh. me. So I shoot again and miss. And then I shoot again and roll him and I'm out of shells. And this is when I was younger and stupid. I took three shells that day. Oh my gosh. I rolled that bird twice. Mm-hmm. And that son of a bitch got up and took off running. And I threw my gun at it and then <laughs> ran and I, it would probably have been at the time, at least the best bird of my life as well. Mm-hmm. And a really cool story of how I called him in. And, uh, I told myself, I was like, run until you can't move. He'll make a mistake and trip or something. Dude. Every time I get within like, I don't know, eight feet or so of that bird, he'd flap the one wing he had left and it just like propel him 20 yards yep. out. And I ran literally that's the closest I've ever come to puking while running. And I was like, <laughs> like for the rest of the day, I was done. Yeah. And we were pretty far back in there. So um, <clears throat> always take more than just your three shells. Mm-hmm. I recommend at least six. The other thing is be very ready. It's very easy to celebrate um, and, and get caught up in that because you're so excited. And then, the bird hops off and runs away and yep. like you talk about something that can deflate the hell out of a guy that is rough i've had that that's the second time that happened mm-hmm. um i was hunting with matt amrine when he first got into it and we sat up on top of a hill and we heard the gobbler and i called and he was there within a couple minutes and matt didn't have a shot so i ended up taking a shot how he was 35 40 yards uh-huh. roll the bird and i'm like freaking you know pushing matt celebrating and everything not even looking down there 
because I knew I killed the bird. And I seen mm-hmm. a little branch fall. We got down there and came up on a pile of feathers. And about uh, 75 yards down further, the bird flew off. And so we came back up. I had cut about a one and a half inch in uh, diameter buckeye tree down uh, with my shot. So I barely kind of caught the bird with very little shot, I think. Even though I, it's kind of weird how I knocked him down like that, but he just got right back up. But whatever. You, you get the point. Yeah, they, they do that. <laughs> and there's there's a documentary uh, called Stars in the Sky, and they talk about this where there's there's an old there's an older gentleman in the movie where he said when i shoot an animal the first thing i do is i am up out of my stand or blind and i am drawing my knife in case i need to go over there and i need to finish the animal yep. you know one of the things with turkeys is and uh this happens uh you know in the spring with guys who bow hunt them is that a lot of guys cuz you don't hit them in that you're not i mean most guys don't hit them in the head because with an arrow you can pierce them through the breast and you and you try to get their vitals. Um, a lot of turkeys run off in the spring with arrows in them, and yeah. you know they're coyote food at that point, or owl food, or or whatever. So just just yep. brings me to the next point, and we 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 harp on this consistently. Practice. So there's a couple things that you need to look at when you go when you decide to go turkey hunting in the spring. First thing is, are you going to be using a bow, a crossbow, or a gun? Uh, personally, I have not ever bow hunted for a bird before. Um, I might try it this spring if I can find an area to do it with a crossbow. But uh, for me, typically I, I, I shotgun hunt. So with, with regards to that, um, there's some pretty basic things that you need to know about uh, shotgunning for turkeys. The first being is that there's plenty of shotguns out there uh, right now where you can buy just a specific turkey gun um i use what is called a remington 870 super mag and it is uh my bird gun and my turkey gun and it comes with a choke for that um a lot of guys uh are now mounting red dot sights on their guns but the more important thing that we kind of talked about last week is ammunition and there are there i mean as as things have progressed i don't know when you started chris but when i started it was like all oh, you have were Remington Nitro turkeys, and that yep. was about it. Then came Longbeard XRs. Now you have TSS, which I mean, those things for some people can reach 70, 80 yards. They're they're uh, they're shooting turkeys at now. But again, the important part about all this is is that you take time and practice your uh, your shooting with these things, and you pattern your shotgun <clears throat> because. Too often we think, uh, oh, it'll fly just like when I shoot at birds or when I'm dove hunting or whatever. A turkey load runs differently. It's, you know, a three-inch shell or a three-and-a-half-inch shell. Uh, There's going to be a hell of a lot more kick to them. And you're shooting out of a choke, and that makes it uh, compressed down because you're trying to concentrate the most amount of BBs to go into that turkey's head and and stop it flat on the spot. Now, this is for people that are shooting like the long beard XR Nitro Turkey and all that because they're shooting a number four, five, or six shot. Now, when you get into the TSS, TSS. you're actually not trying to choke it down as much because you have so many pellets because uh, TSS stands for, uh, what is it, tungsten super shot? 
I think so. Um, and essentially, just think about this. Lead comes in right around that 11 or 12 uh, cc. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get TSS that's 18 cc. So essentially, think about a number nine shot having the weight of a six shot. So you have a nine shot shell and it's basically a hornet's nest Mm -hmm. coming at their face. I mean, there's a lot of BBs. So what's cool about TSS is when you have a bird at 10 or 20 or 25 yards, you don't have a constricted pattern the size of a baseball where if you barely pull your trigger or whatever off a little bit, Mm -hmm. you don't miss the bird. You've got a big paper plate size pattern even at that yardage. But then when you get down range to, you know, 70 or 80 yards, Luke shot a, um, a duplex load of sevens and nines last year. And basically what that is, is those nines act like a buffer. So they help everything stay tighter. And he shot at 90 yards and there were like 35 or something, 35 pellets in the turkey head neck. Oh uh, crap in the target that we shot. And I I was like, geez, old Pete's like, that's, I didn't even expect that. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, I mean, and a seven shot, I think we had 15 CCs in the seven shots. So those were basically like a five shot. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're flat out shitting and getting with some heavy stuff. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, anyways, kind of a rabbit hole, but go ahead. But I mean that that's it's important to know. The biggest part about this is that when you select a load, you practice with it. And again, there it costs a lot, like TSS. It's gonna cost you a lot to, sh- yeah. to to pattern your gun. But if you're doing what you need to and you're keeping your you know your gun up upkeep well and you're you know shooting it regularly. This is something that you will probably not have to put too many rounds through uh, in order to keep up with it. But beside that, you know, if you look for a turkey gun, there's lots of them out there that you can get. Um, uh, Most is, you know, what would you say? Most people shoot a 12 gauge or a 10 gauge. And then. Yeah. Until you get to the. Yeah. That's basically why a lot of people utilize the 410 or uh, excuse me, the tungsten super shot. TSS, um, they use a 410 or a 20 gauge mm-hmm. or a 28, something that is super light and it's not got a lot of recoil. A lot of them, hell, they'll use a two and three quarter inch shell, but they'll, wow. I mean, and they have a 410 that's a 50 yard gun. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can take a, to- a 410 through the woods on public land and shoot 50 yards, you're, you're doing, you're pretty doing good. something. Yeah. yeah. So, which again, man, we just keep segueing. This is perfect. So that segues us into what basically what we started with. There's two big things that are differences. There is what we call run and gun, and then there is what we, uh, I mean, what I would just describe as blind hunting. Uh, now, wh- the way I was taught how to turkey hunt growing up was run and gun, and all all run and gun means is that <clears throat> you're basically walking and calling but you have a very mobile setup. This isn't yep. like you have a blind, you sit down, you put out a decoy set and you call and you wait. Um, you know, again, and a that's, blind requires a chair and a blind requires a chair. Um, 
a lot of, I mean, you can try to do that if you run and gun, I wouldn't suggest it, but um, what a lot of people use for a run and gun setup is you have your gun, obviously you have maybe a decoy, maybe two, but they're collapsible ones. Typically um, I have a Turkey vest. It's got a pad on the bottom of it just in case I want to sit down uh, or it gives me just a little bit of padding against like, you're not going to find a nice spot to sit in some of these areas because if you're using terrain to your advantage, you're going to want to use little hills. You're going to want to use little knolls to try to wait to ambush a bird and things like that. So these are things that you have to think about as you go into it. You're going to be using uh, whatever call you prefer. Personally, I use a mouth call. That's what I'm most comfortable with because I can – have that in my mouth while I've got my gun up on my knee and I can call the bird that way. Um, I might keep a slate call or a pot call in between my legs. And if the bird starts coming in, I will then you know, switch over to a mouth call or something like that. The entire point of a running gun setup is to be completely mobile. And you will see this uh, a lot in, on, you know, public land setups. You'll see guys set up in blinds, which, you know, kudos to them if, if they can do that. But it serves you best, ultimately, to be able to move around uh, when yep. you are on public ground. Um, yeah. If you are, you know, in, in eastern Kentucky, eastern Ohio, you know, places that are real hilly, you're, you're going to want to run and gun just for the fact that you're going to be going up and down hills and things like that. And you're going to want to make sure that you <clears> – <throat> I cannot stress this enough, especially when you're hiking up hills – um, this is a very important piece of of a running gun setup. Have a good pair of boots that are broken in. You don't yep. want you don't want to be in your typical rubber boots uh, or muck boots, you know, lacrosse arrowheads, whatever, running up and down hills. You want to have a good pair of 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 boots that you're going to be they have broken in that you can that you can go in. Yep. Yeah. I uh, and and again going back to what I was talking about when you're when you find a spot where you're just overwhelmed with turkey sign, there's scat, yep. there's tracks, there's feathers, the leaves are tore up everywhere, and you can see food and all that, you can take a blind right there and sit there. Yep. But do you care to sit there for four hours, or do you want to chase gobbles? A lot of people, <coughs> excuse me, um, a lot of people uh, like to say, well, this is the right way, this way that I do that's the right way. There is no right or wrong way to right. on a turkey, especially if you're successful at it. If you like to sit in a blind, great. If you want to shoot them at 70 yards and you can do so, great. You want to wait for them to come into 20 yards before you pull the trigger? Mm-hmm. Awesome. You want to run and gun? Great. But the thing is, is whatever you're comfortable with, you know, utilize what you're good at and, and go from there. Because a guy who's not in good shape or a person who just doesn't want to walk a lot, I know right. plenty of them. There are plenty of them. And I'll tell you, you know, kudos to Rick because, you know, me being a guy who's not, um, I'm not super in shape and a lot of people kind of underestimate me. I can walk. We walked Mm -hmm. the second day. The second day, we walked all damn day, man. Yeah, we did. And uh, we put in the miles. So um, I've done as much as like 14 miles one day turkey hunt. Mm -hmm. Um, And you feel it when you get home, but. I know a lot of people that I've taken that are like, you know, they're whining and complaining because we've walked a thousand yards. And I'm like, dude, you're in for a rough 
day. Man. <laughs> it's going to be long. I'll see yep. you at the truck. So um, the other thing that I wanted to touch on <clears throat> with calling. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people don't utilize this. And to me, it's like one of the best things you can do scratching in the leaves. Mm-hmm. If you've ever watched a hen look for food in the leaves or any turkeys doesn't have to be a hen. If you've ever watched a flock of turkeys scratch around in the leaves, that, that is like gold. Cause that, again, just like adding motion to decoys that adds realism. And because a lot of people don't do it, mm-hmm. that's like a trigger where they're like, Oh damn that. Okay. That's a real bird. Cause that doesn't really happen. So I'm going to go over here and screw her. Oh shit. I'm dead. So um, it's just one of those things. If you can scratch in the leaves and don't be afraid to be loud about it, like sound like a Turkey. I mean, yeah, I, I scoop those leaves up as I scratch them. I scoop them up and throw them behind me. So they hit the other leaves. Cause that's, I mean, a lot of times that's what you're hearing in the Turkey woods. So uh, that's another thing that is just highly, highly underutilized. Um, and then, you know, this leads back to the woodsmanship part of it turkeys are lazy so for you people that utilize base map uh hunt stand on x anything with a topo map don't let a big ditch or a big down tree right or a big creek or river separate you from that bird even a fence if there's a fence go to where there's a hole yep that bird more often than not We'll strut back and forth along the riverbank, along the ditch, along the fence, behind the tree, and never come in. And it's happened so many times. So one thing that I like to do now um, is look at OnX, where we're sat up. If we have the option, I'm going to look at OnX and say, okay, do we have serious terrain in between me and that bird to where he's not going to come in? Because we had, when me and... Pierce and Luke went out that day mm-hmm. together. I killed my bird at like nine thirty or something, something like that. And yeah. we chased a bird until I think it was like five thirty in the afternoon. Man, it was crazy, and he just gobbled his ass off all day. And we had him, you know, the time I was talking about earlier, where he literally ran out of breath. And I'm just sitting here recording behind Luke, just waiting to hear that gun go off and mm-hmm. watch a turkey flop and he never came in he just shut up and left and then we walked shit 50 yards in front of where luke was i think i was like 12 yards something 15 yards behind luke we walked about 50 60 yards down there and there's this this big old ravine and he just didn't want to he didn't want to do that so um finding the path of least resistance is huge and the other thing i gotta say not going to tell you you can't because I've done it before, but don't try to call a turkey down a hill. Call yeah. turkeys uphill and call them across the hill. If you set up below a turkey, he's going to stand up high where he wants to be, and he's going to look down, and he's not going to come in more than likely. Again, I've had it happen and work out, but it's extremely rare. Yeah. Yep. I've had it happen so, one time. Um, a bird came down a hill towards me, but even at that, like the thing you got to remember is that you got to be set up perfectly for a shot for where you think that that bird's going to be coming in at, because 
I don't think we said anything about this. Turkey's eyesight, extremely oh. good. Um, that, that that's an important thing to remember with this is that uh, they they don't smell things like deer do, uh, but they they have extremely good eyesight, and if they see any movement that's not natural to them, they are gone. Um, they they will be. They, I mean, they they move quick. So that's that's something to really keep in mind as you go through this. Yeah, that kind of I guess that brings me on to another point is the camo involved. Yeah. Um, so first off, I'm just going to say this, and I don't care who doesn't like it. Uh, do not fall for any gimmicks. There's no such thing as an invisible cloak. Um, you know, <laughs> you're not going to buy a about? shirt. <laughs> You're not going to buy a shirt and pants that hides your damn electromagnetic field from a turkey. A turkey can't see an electromagnetic field. That shit was invented for sharks, period. That is the science behind that and is irrefutable. People just jump on the bandwagon like they do every other pro staff. I'm here to tell you, had some buddies hunting in a blind. Love you, Josh. Don't hate me. (laughs) Hunting in a blind with said gear on and they spooked the birds they were jakes they barely moved inside a blind and the jake saw them don't fall for gimmicks man woodsmanship trumps everything so first things first i do believe that a turkey along with hawks and eagles and all that can see ultraviolet rays Mm -hmm. um this explains why you're in full camo at the top of a hill and uh, a turkey crests the hill and shits its pants and runs and you didn't move you didn't do anything you were in the shadows you did everything right that is because they can see that their eyesight is so incredibly good you know and this is how eagles hunt and this is how vultures find their food uh carrying you know the dead animals along the roads and stuff they can see a scent trail they can see the bacteria making that little light or what whatever however you describe that. So one thing you want to do is try to get in the shadows as best you can blend in, break yourself up and cut down on glare on your gun. Um, I don't care if it's black camo tape is still good because when the sun comes up, you guarantee that that sun's going to hit your barrel. My poor boy, Luke, uh, we had a bird coming into us and uh, he actually saw him and then the bird, saw him because the sun came up perfectly and hit his red dot scope Uh, can't stress enough anything that's shiny you might as well tuck your head between your legs and kiss your ass goodbye because that bird will see that immediately and they'll leave they they yeah they know something's up so um they're one of the few birds that don't go towards shiny things yeah um I, i don't know really how to combat the ultraviolet stuff other than to uh, you know, wash your camo and um, don't don't get excessive and everything. And a lot of yeah. times I, I have no problem with rolling around in the dirt, putting leaves and sticks over me or, you know, whatever. Um, and then the other thing is we we discovered these little stakeout blinds. Yeah. It's got like five or six stakes or whatever, and you jam them into the ground. It's super quick and simple. You literally stick these stakes in the ground all around you. And you've got like a, I'll say probably like a 200, 225 degree uh area that is blocked off and you can raise it over your head basically to where it's that high um but it hides your your you know if you're a film guy Mm -hmm. it'll hide 
your tripod and your gun yep. and your calls. And, uh, you know, for a guy like me, that's running a decoy with string, mm-hmm. I can move back there and they don't, they don't see that. So, and for all of us that, you know, our ass falls asleep or whatever, and you got to shift your weight. Well, generally when you do that, well, Tom Turkey was 35 yards away and you didn't know it. And then <laughs> you hear the, and then he takes off and, and they run. Yeah. So, um, that, that's another thing that I'll say, really focus on breaking yourself up any way you can and set up to where you're not going to be in the sunlight. You're not going to have glare, stuff like that. And don't sit in like a, if there's like an island in the middle of a meadow or something, that's like not a good idea. They, no. they focus on something like that. Um, you're best off being in the woods, in the shadows where everything's the same and there's a lot of it. Uh, they can really pick apart a little island or something very well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can you can outfit yourself in in turkey camo for a heck of a lot cheaper than you can uh, in deer stuff too. Always oh, remember yeah. that. And it, oh it, yeah, it, it doesn't take much. And realistically, with the running gun hunting that we do, what I prefer um, is a lighter pair of camo pants. I take I have a soft shell jacket that I throw in my in my backpack that I carry my decoy yep. in. I have a, a long sleeve almost I mean I don't even know what kind of shirt it is. It's just a long sleeve like um moisture wicking camo shirt and I have a mask and a hat. And yeah. I, you know you you really the, the important part about this is also you want to make sure you have a face mask. Those birds will pick white out um, if, if, yep. if, you know, or any, shine on your forehead, shine on your forehead, like, like nobody's business. So, you know, just, just make sure that you are uh, accounting for all these different things as, as you're going through that. And then like my, my final thing really with regards to, um, most turkey hunting that I do has been on, I mean, with the exception of two farms has been public land for the, probably the past, I don't know, five years, uh, if you're going to hunt public and if you're going to hunt the first week of turkey, either get there earlier than what you think other people are going to get there and plan on getting uh, plan on at least the places in Kentucky. Every WMA has a thing where you put where you're going on the property. Uh, don't always trust that, but make sure if you do see people talk with them and say, where are you going? So you don't have an accident. There's a turkey hunting accident in the Midwest every year. We had one in Ohio. Was that last year or two years ago where that guy got shot? Yeah, dude. That that, that was a messed up situation. I mean, that that can, you know, I don't know all the, everything that happened with that, but um, when we hunted the place in Kentucky, there was six other guys on the property. Everybody talked. Everyone said, okay, this is where we're going. And we, I mean, we called in a bird within the first hour of daylight. Yeah. And that that's the other thing that you really have to think about is, you know, I, I cannot stress this enough. If you can get a day off in the middle of the week during turkey season, take oh. advantage of it. The important thing to always remember about turkeys is they don't go to sleep in the middle of the day like a deer does. Yep. They're out. They're bugging, eating That's bugs. That's the best time to yeah, kill best them, t- Some of the best times. Some of the best um, turkey hunting I've done is between 10 and 1 o'clock. And it's yep. mainly because, you know, guys are up moving birds around. But 
at the same time, if you're on a large track of public land, you're going to have time to walk and look at that stuff. And you're not having to go in in the dark of night or the dark of morning to try to figure out where these birds are at either. Yep. And that I'm going to talk about another thing and I'll probably talk for the rest of my life about this on this podcast, but I just want to give everybody every little bit of knowledge that I have. So, um, Turkey behavior, uh, when you're hunting turkeys, you're reversing nature. Um, gobblers call in hens. The gobbler gobbles, the hen goes to him. You're trying to literally reverse nature and take advantage of his, uh, you know, sexual needs, if you will. So um, one of the things that I like to target is places with thick cover, cedar thickets, honeysuckle thickets, pine thickets, somewhere where a hen can get in and build a nest. Because keep in mind, they nest on the ground. It's a ground nesting bird. So get, you know, if you have an open timber area or an open meadow or field, especially if there are four-wheeler trails or horse trails, logging roads involved, they will walk up and down those trails in open areas, open timber, meadows, cut corn, whatever, and strut and gobble back and forth where all that thick cover is because that's where those hens are bedded and what they'll do is they'll come out and breed him feed for a little bit go lay an egg then come out a little later in the day breed feed go lay an egg that's how it works so there's a reason to the the madness that is a turkey you know strutting where he is so a lot of times they have these things called strut zones and you can actually if the dirt is soft you can see where the wings are dragging through the dirt and you you know right away, you know, if you find a bunch of stuff like that, that's probably where he likes to go and strut because there is a hen, just like a lot of your bucks know where your specific does bed. These birds understand where that hen is nesting pretty close anyway. They know where they can go and strut and gobble and bring her out so that they can breed her. So that's the whole purpose of what I was talking about before with the scouting and using your glass and your ears and figuring out where he wants to be. Because when you when you hunt birds, you want to be where they want to be. Yep. It's much easier when you do it that way, because if you're just out there trying to call. I'm not saying you're not going to have luck, but generally you're going to call the youngest and dumbest birds and the older ones. It's going to take a little more trickery. Mm-hmm. stuff like that i'm not not that's not a rule of thumb or a you know a um you know the gospel or anything but uh that's generally how it's going to go and even then after the first or second week man if you're not where that bird wants to be he's probably not going to cooperate especially if you're on pressured property whether it's public or private right right so so um, well hey I think we covered out a lot. Um, so why don't yeah. we go ahead and, and wrap this up? Uh, you got okay. any concluders this week? Uh, my concluder is if you are in your last couple weeks, like I am deer hunting, um, careful not to shoot the shed buck. Yep. It could be, you know, you could be out there doe hunting and the buck that you passed in October or November could present himself to you. And it's already tough to tell when it's a spike buck or a button buck. If he's got nothing there, <laughs> I mean, it'd be pretty, oh, look at that yeah. big ass doe. And then you get down and you're like, oh, shit. So uh, the other thing is, um, you know, don't give up. Be stupid, hard-headed like me and go till the end. But uh, when, when we're talking about turkeys, guys, 
if you want to bow hunt turkeys, look up on YouTube where to shoot a turkey. You do not yes. shoot a turkey like you would shoot a deer or anything else. It's a very mm-hmm. weird kill zone. Um, and it's it's one of the tougher things you can do. And I really, I mean, I've done it, but it's just not for me. So I just take a shotgun because I like to chase gobbles and all that. But uh, I can definitely say, uh, look up a video on YouTube and it will do you so much good. Uh, and the other thing, no red, white, black, or blue yeah. when you're turkey hunting. Do not None wear those, those. colors. Um, it's a surefire way to get cut down with a face full of pellets. So, okay. How about you? Um, couple of them. First things first, as always, if you have the opportunity to take somebody hunting or fishing, please do that and introduce someone new to the outdoors as a new year's resolution this year, we are in the new year. So that's a, a good and wonderful thing. Um, I guess my other, uh, thing would be with regards to just hunting in general. Um, well, I guess two things. The first, the first one being when deer season ends, that is not the end of hunting season. In a lot of States, you still have uh, squirrel and rabbit seasons open. So if those are table fare that you choose to have for your family, they're great and you can freeze them and they're wonderful, you know, no matter what. And, uh, for our northern folk, because uh, it's not happening in the south, if you are out on the hard water, make sure your ice is thick enough to be on there. You know, too many times each year, people go through the ice and people end up uh, passing away or dying because they're not taking proper precautions. I will say this: it is a uh, a shameless plug for a show that I love. Meat Eater did a great series called the Fur Hat Ice Tour on YouTube, and it's all about ice fishing, and there's a lot of safety points that they make in there that as a um, someone who is on kind of like the edge of hard water areas, it's important to know. And as we get closer to spring, because we are, by the time this comes out, it's going to be, you know, it's the 20th of January. We'll have um, three weeks left of uh, yeah. deer season. Yeah, it, 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 uh, it's getting close. Like, it's going to start getting warmer soon. Those fishing opportunities on those warm days, a jig under a bobber can kill you a lot of crappie. So oh yeah. be aware, uh, be safe, <laughs> and if you have the ability, be outdoors. So... This has been Fueled by the Outdoors. We've been your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. And we hope to talk to you next time, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks, guys.